What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Welcome to the Prestige TV Podcast, a show where we really, really hate post-apocalyptic puns. I'm Charles Holmes. He's Van Lathan. Together, we're known as the Midnight Boys. Pew, pew! Pew! And we're here to discuss the critically acclaimed new HBO show, The Last of Us. Van, after a rollercoaster of emotions last week, how are you feeling, man? I'm good. I'm ready to get back on the road and <laughs> shoot some people. Protect my stuff. <laughs> I wanted to know, uh, before we jump in, how are you feeling about the the episode three discourse? I thought the the episode is... I've seen a lot of people um, celebrating the episode. You have trolls who are very upset for obvious reasons. And then you know some contrarians. How are you feeling uh, about the reception to episode three? I don't understand what you're talking about. I haven't seen any of this, this, this discourse. Tell me about it now. Oh, it's just... I mean... I think there was always the crowd that is, you know, the Reddit crowd, the how dare you make my video game show woke. And then there's the guys relax. It's not the great. It's not the greatest TV episode of all time. Blah, 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 blah. You know how people like to argue. I, I just thought I was just like, oh, I watched this, sh- this episode. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a win. It's a win. And to just see people be like, fuck this episode. I was surprised. Vocal minority. Well, well here's the deal. For everybody that's mad because beautiful love story between two men was uh was on the screen. All I can tell them is fuck you. <laughs> Very eloquent. I agree. Okay, that's all I can tell to them. For people who didn't think that it was as good as the rest of us thought it was, or some of us thought it was, hey, you're entitled to your opinion. Um, <clears throat> I I I've watched it several times. I thought it was really great. But you know that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to great television or, or, or great art or even not even great art. Like we argue over everything now. So the fact that yeah. there's an argument just means that something exists. It just feels like everything, everywhere, all at, all at once, all over again. Where it's just like every single time I log onto the internet, somebody's arguing about it, and I'm like, guys, we just have to chill. Like hate it, love it, I don't care, but we just have to chill. Hey, if you didn't dig it, cool. I thought it was fantastic. Fantastical. And I watched it again 
Me, Khalid, and Jomi watched it on Sunday after we got in trouble for, uh, you know, after we got Tony <laughs> Romo in trouble, inadvertently. Um, but me, Khalid, and Jomi watched it. Uh, watched it again, and we loved it once again. And Jomi was, Jomi was beside himself with emotion. Jomi was beside himself. Jomi? Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I will say, that is a, that is a, very weird cocktail on a Sunday to go from football to just one of the most devastating hours of TV. Jomi demanded it. Everybody else left. Jomi, everybody else left. (laughs) Steve left first. He said he had a quote-unquote migraine. I'm not sure what he was really going to do. Steve left. Rachel left. Everybody left. Nick left. Jomi was like, turn on the last of us. (laughs) We wouldn't leave. So we all watched it together. My little brother. And we all loved it. So Look, I can understand. People have a difference of opinion. It's fine. I liked it. You didn't like it as much. We move on to episode four, baby. Well, episode four is titled Please Hold My Hand, directed by Jeremy Webb, written by Craig Mazin. We are back with uh, Joel and Ellie. Joel is siphoning gas from abandoned cars at a gas station. Ellie secretly practices with her new gun in the bathroom. As Joel and Ellie start to bond on the road, Joel opens up about his brother and their past. Joel and Ellie are eventually ambushed by a group of revolutionaries who have overthrown Fedra at their QZ and are hunting a duo named Sam and Henry. Ellie saves Joel, but in the process, condemns a young man to die at his hands. The leader of the revolutionaries, Kathleen, tells her hunters to track down the intruders who happen to be Joel and Ellie. As they hide, Joel tries to comfort Ellie about the murder, but Ellie reveals this isn't the first time she's killed someone. During their search, Kathleen and her lieutenant witness a big hole in a basement that portends something major is afoot. And then, while sleeping in a high-rise, Joel and Ellie are ambushed by two young men who are presumably Sam and Henry and Van. We kind of talked about it briefly last episode, how not difficult, but how much of a jump it would be um, going basically back to the main storyline after having something so hefty in the third episode. So what were your first thoughts uh, when you watched Please Hold My Hand? My first thoughts, well, I think they did, they did a good job of getting us back into the world. Um, they did a good job of making us feel like, hey, uh, this is the main story. Um, there were a lot of people that I saw uh, not so much online, but in some of the other recap videos that I watch, I mean, it's online, but I, I, I consider social media to be online and YouTube to be YouTube. So when I see something <laughs> on YouTube, it's not that I saw Makes it perfect online. sense. Makes perfect sense. I think so. I have to ask you this. Who do you think is uh, more uh, well-adjusted, YouTubers or people on Twitter? YouTubers by far. I did no see way. one you No way. I, no, I, I think it's YouTubers, man. I have to be honest with you. People on Twitter are that we're the worst versions of ourselves. YouTubers are at least like old school vaudevillian performers who are who are you know wearing boas and giving us a version of society that isn't quite real, but it's kind of but kind of real. Twitter is literally Twitter is like a different language that means just fuck you. Twitter is a worse space, but I would argue YouTube is a rare place. Where it's like, oh, I'm having fun on YouTube. Like, this is great. I'm watching my favorite, like, YouTubers. Then you click on the wrong video and they're just like, guys, let me tell you, World War II was a fraud. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. I, no, that, that's, that's true. But I'm just telling you that, like, the YouTubers themselves, I feel that they're a little bit more. Now, there's, there's some out there um, that, are, that are a little different. But I feel that the YouTubers themselves are normally cool. Anyway, we're getting off. We're going off the rails already. Um, <laughs> So, 
I watched a couple of YouTube's uh, heavy spoilers recap. Shout out to my friends over at uh, New Rockstars recap. Just watched a lot of different recaps. And there were people that were talking about they felt like it was a risk for the show to veer away from the main storyline this soon. That this is maybe an episode that was better suited for episode six, seven, or something like that. So I was wondering whether or not I would feel uh, jolted by being brought out of that world with uh, Bill and Frank, which seems like you know such a big deal to coming back to our main storyline. Maybe there would be a letdown, but there wasn't. Right back, right back, right back. Because remember, we saw them at the end, and we kind of got back in the last episode, so it worked for me, and I enjoyed this episode. It wasn't obviously on the level of long, long time, but it was, uh, it was, it was really good. I mean, I think that this episode, what, what actually this coming after three does is that the stakes almost feel higher or the emotional stakes of what Joel is, doesn't know that he's fighting for yet is higher because we witnessed to, we witnessed to men who could, who created their own type of paradise in a post-apocalyptic world. They created their own type of family. And you slowly start seeing in this episode, Joel letting his defenses down and almost letting kind of Ellie fill a role that he's been very reticent to. He calls her cargo at one point in this episode. And then him slowly melting throughout and being worried about this... uh, this young person. I thought it was very, very affecting. But before we jump to that, we learned something about Joel through his brother, Tommy. So Joel in the car basically explains to Ellie that Tommy went to Desert Storm. He says, quote, same mistake he made when he was 18. He wants to save the world. Pipe dream. And he's saying that in reference to Tommy becoming a firefly. It seems like his brother kind of has this need to join causes that are supposed to be saving the world. And we learn kind of about Joel that he is not only pragmatic, but seems very, very um, distrustful of authority figures, authority regimes. What did you kind of think about that conversation that he has with Ellie talking about you know, Tommy and the ways he's kind of let him down. So it was interesting because remember in the first episode that we did this, I made the mistake of thinking that it was Joel who uh, had been a soldier. Yeah. Come to find out that it's Tommy. Um, That means that Joel was made Joel almost completely by the world that we see and by the loss of whomever Sarah's mother was. Yeah. So um, that makes Joel, in my opinion, a 100% trauma bot. You know, if you had gone through basic training or definitely if you had seen combat in a place like Iraq, then that would explain some of the uh, reactions that you might have to different situations. Hey, it just might be reflex um, from having to, you know, put your own life and your and the lives of your 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 fellow soldiers um, in your hands and in their hands. There might be some things that just might have been, you know, reflexive. But this means that Joel, as a character, in ways, is a complete creation of the traumas that have befallen him. And that makes it even harder for him to go against them 
because it's his trauma responses to this point that have kept him alive. When you're trying to break through to a kid um, who's been in a bad situation, like there's an episode of The Wire where they're trying to figure out what's the right spot to get in and try to get through to the kids, right? And they figure yeah. it's like 12, 13, you saw this. And like 15, 16 is too seasoned, right? When you're trying to get through to them, you're trying to make them feel safe enough to find out who they really are. And there's just a point where you can't do that because the world has told them if you do a certain thing, you'll get beat up, you'll die, you'll be in a situation where someone will take advantage of you. So that to me, learning that about him was like, hey, it really is a Herculean task to get through to this guy because everything that's gone wrong has made him into who he is. And I think the interesting thing, though, is that when Ellie says, if you don't think there's hope for the world, why bother going on? You got to try, right? It's very, very interesting because even in the apocalypse, that that kind of dichotomy, that relationship between older people and younger people is playing out with Joel and Ellie. I think Joel has been beaten down by the world. He was beaten down by the world before the apocalypse happened, before the infected came, and now it's only worse. And it's yeah. interesting seeing somebody like Ellie <laughs> be how teenagers are even when there's not a bunch of zombies running around, which is like having this idealism, thinking you can change the world, thinking that you can try. And it's so interesting seeing something that plays out in our own world still being central to their relationship. Mm-hmm. Because I like... I am probably in the middle of it right now where, you know, I watch younger kids and I'm amazed at them. I'm just like, man, they still have the fighting spirit. They still are just like, yeah. They still have the fighting spirit. <laughs> and I'm just like, just give it five, ten more years. They'll beat it out of you. Uh, and that's, that was interesting to watch between the two of them. So that that to me is the interesting thing. Because, uh, you know, as adults, what we're trying to really protect in children is what's what's died in ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) And so to watch him actually have to protect her life and then also protect her kiddiness, it's very interesting. And this is one of the first ones to where it's just Joel, Ellie, and the third character in their journey, which is danger. Before this, they've had tests with them. Um, But now... It's just them. And we're figuring out their trust relationship. Uh, it's a very interesting scene when she actually pills the guy that's about to kill Joel. Let's be honest, bro. Let's talk about Joel for a second. Joel was about to get Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> okay? You guys remember the toughest scene in Saving Private Ryan? You know, Op him. Oppum is up there. They're in the little tower. My man, Adam Goldberg, is up there. You know, he's fighting against the big German guy. Big German guy gets him down, driving the knife into him. Adam Goldberg starts politicking at the end. Wait, wait, wait. No, wait, wait, wait. The whole time I'm in the theater, I'm like, Oppum, what the fuck? Are you going (laughs) to help him? Like, he doesn't. He dies. Ellie didn't go out like Oppum did. She comes on, boom, puts the pill in him. All right? But that's a that's a, a, a conundrum for Joel. 
You're happy that she was able to save your life because you were getting saved in Private Ryan. You were about to get a, a goddamn a pump shotgun to the throat. But also, you guys have to have trust when you're out there on the road. So the fact that she would have the gun and not tell you that she has the gun has to be dealt with. And he dealt with it in the right way. He's like, look, she proved that she was handy dandy, handy with the steel, not any geek off the street. Regulators mount up. So he, he he taught her how to use it a little bit and let her keep it. Well, this is a beautiful segue to Plucky Kid Corner. This might be the death of Plucky Kid Corner because this episode very much felt like, all right, this is the moment where being the scrappy do ain't gonna it's not gonna cut it. I want to know how are we feeling about Ellie's evolution? Because even in this episode, we start with her in the mirror practicing with the gun, almost like it's a toy, wanting to feel like a badass. And immediately she goes outside and starts telling bad pun jokes and, you know, is like ogling at uh, the porno mag. You're just like, this is a kid. And the minute it comes time to like, oh no, I have to take a person's life, you realize that there's something that happens. And like even Joel's heart starts breaking a little bit. And it was yeah. like interesting being like, are we kind of seeing a new version of Ellie in this episode? One that can no longer be as like wide eye, like, wowee planes. I'm in a I'm in the a future truck mobile. Are we about to see a more steely wizened Ellie? Ellie's got like a Dexter percentage. <laughs> you know how Dexter was like a, a fucked up kid that like had a weirdness to where he likes to hurt things and do crazy shit. Ellie, when she sees the gun, I don't know about Ellie, man. I don't know how it goes in the game because I never played it, but Ellie is evolving from Pluck into... Little sociopath vibes. Like She plays it a little Dahmer-esque sometimes. She plays it sometimes like, oh, gun. Like, she plays it, it, it... Sometimes she plays I'm like, yo, does, does Ellie want to hurt people? Like you know, I mean, when she when she killed, this was I think this was last episode when she killed uh, the infected. Yeah. I was like, all right, like uh, were you plucking feathers off uh, little baby birds as a child? Well, yeah. you know, killing ants in the sun. I was just like, this is, but you gotta relax, Ellie. She's managing to use pluck as a weapon. Mm. I would say that the pun book and the unadulterated pluck that it brings with it. Starting to get to Joel. He laughed at the jeans joke. It was funny <laughs> because I, when she said, did you know that diarrhea runs in, in like diarrhea is inherited or whatever? And I was like, damn, I wonder if that's true. <laughs> and I was literally about to pause it to look that up. <gasps> when she goes, it runs in your jeans. I was like, this motherfucker. I had to laugh. Bro. I was like, this motherfucker, bro. Come on, man. Ellie. Relax. Ellie seems to be melting your heart just like Joel. One to nine on the pluck meter. Where is she? Now, remind me about the pluck meter. Ten is pluck. terrible. Worst pluck ever. Worst pluck ever. One is like endearing. One is like Macaulay Culkin, Home Alone. Very endearing. Ooh, but he was super plucky, but very endearing. You know, it's good. She's probably now around a six in pluck. <laughs> you know? She's around a six in pluck. She saved Joel. She can't, you can't give her like a four? Nah, because she went right back to Pluck. 
You know, even when she shot Joel, that's another a little bit of the serial killer vibes that were coming out. She she's walking. She's like, <sighs> like she, she was shoot like Joel. Not when she shot Joel. When she shot whoever the kids. What was the, the guy's name? Brian was his name. Brian. He's like, oh, I'm Brian. Like, bruh. <laughs> see, this is where Oppum failed because because Joel could have been an Oppum, bro. I hate that scene as a Saver Private Ryan, bro. Eventually, the Ringer is gonna let me do a mini podcast, literally a ten minute to fifteen minute podcast, just about scenes that I hate. Just Van's scenes that he hates. Wait, what's the number one overall scene? That one. Really? No bullshit. That that <laughs> that is the most egregious scene in the history of movies to me. I might be if I thought about it because I know that there move there scenes out there that I hate. Not you know, but if I thought about it, maybe that scene drives me every time, every time. Sitting there with the gun, Oppum just getting people killed. No telling how many people Oppum got killed. All right? So don't get me started on that. Stop stop inciting me, Charles. But when she when she walks up and shoots the guy, that guy who tries to, like, get out of the situation, Joel's like, nah, we got to put some work in. And Joel <laughs> stabs him, doesn't he? I don't Joel think Joel stabbed, I was surprised. Joel, you there like a thunk? I was like, god damn. He didn't even waste a bullet. He's like, nah, bro. Like Joe's trying to get his lick back because he just got washed. Whoa, 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 whoa. He got sucker punched. There's a difference. That man was washing Joe. I seen a white, I saw a white dude on Twitter sucker punch this guy in the Walmart, and the dude turned around and ran the white dude. The guy's name White John. He's a rapper from, from Inglewood. No disrespect to White John. He was actually very good about it. If you look it up, he, they, he tried to sneak a dude in, in a Walmart, and the dude turned around and put them goddamn hands on White John. White John was real about it, though. White John was like, yeah, buddy, beat my ass. That's the way it goes. So a sneak doesn't necessarily mean a win. All right, fair enough. I want to ask you also, I think kind of the the central moment of this episode is when Joel and Ellie are hiding and they have a conversation about death. And it was very interesting because it almost felt like an inversion of, you know, the cliche first time uh, speech that parents have with children, whether it's like, the sex conversation or period or whatever it may be between like a father, mother, daughter, son, whatever. The, the birds and the bee conversation. But instead of being about that, it was essentially Joel trying to walk Ellie through the loss of innocence being her killing someone. And you can see how heartbroken Pedro Pascal plays it of like, this kid is never going to be the same. But then we, we learn that this isn't the first time Ellie killed. And I want to ask you, Van, what do we think she's referencing? Is she referencing the infected? Is she referencing killing a human before Joel? Like, what is she referencing in terms of this isn't the first time I've killed someone? I, you know, I couldn't make my mind up on it. I thought that maybe she was talking about it had gone down before. I was trying to think maybe what kind of situation would she have been in. Also, if she had been through it before, would there have been that look in her eyes? I think she might be talking about the infected. Uh, but even still, that's probably different emotionally than killing a human being. So I wasn't quite sure about that. Um, I wouldn't put it past her that maybe she was in a scrape before where she had to shoot someone. But it all seems so new to her that I kind of doubt that she's killed a human being before. But we're, we're going to find out. I think it's going to be a big deal. 
I mean, I don't know because when we were introduced to Ellie in the first episode, she stabbed a motherfucker like it was nothing. She's mm-hmm. like, Ba-bow. you know what I mean? So there was a, there's a little almost feral childness about Ellie. Mm-hmm. Where at any point, I'm gonna be honest, if I was Joel, I'd be keeping one eye open at night. I'm like, I, you never know. Look, I, I, I don't trust her. I mean, I know that nothing's gonna happen, but the way the way the character is being played, <laughs> man. It's a lot, bro. You you actually want to know what was even more disturbing? I love it. You're going to hate me for saying this, but... Say it. Say it. Just say it. I don't even care if it's the... If it's post-apocalyptic times. I don't give a fuck. I'm never scarfing down Chef Boyardee like that. Chef Boyardee is disgusting. Idiot. That shit's terrible. You're an idiot. How am I an idiot? What are you talking about? There are multiple Chef Boyardees that are off the meat rack. The chisane. Okay. Chef Boyardee is disgusting. You don't like Chef Boyardee ravioli? No. It's like eating like milky ketchup. You don't like SpaghettiOs? <laughs> no. What kind of life did you lead, bro? What kind of life did you... No, no, no. What, what, what was little Chucky? Little Chucky. He's 10. It's little Chucky time. It's little Chucky time. What did little Chucky... Little plucky Chucky... <laughs> What did what did he like to eat? What was his most fun thing to eat? What what did you like to eat? What are you like a California roll when you were a kid? <laughs> sashimi? Like what were you eating? What was little Chucky eating? You know, I like a nice PB and J. My my grandfather was really just on the ham sandwiches. I think it was a product of being poor. He, the deli meats was his way of being like, we got money now. So a lot of ham, a lot of turkey sandwiches, a lot of ham. Yeah. So you're so what you're telling me is you're stuffing your face <laughs> with pork, yet you have the audacity to talk to the rest of us kids from the ghetto that looked at uh <laughs> I don't know, Doc. I haven't eaten it in a long time, but I used to fuck it up. I'm not gonna bullshit you. What would you rather have? See, I would rather have hamburger helper over Chef Boy. Oh, that's not even close. Hamburger hamburger helper is like a meal. It's actually a good meal. Like you take the hamburger, but see, here's the thing. Like my mom used to make this hamburger helper that would just that was the shit, dog. Hamburger <laughs> helper is like, you know, that's actually a you have to be on it a little bit to have because you have to have the hamburger. So yeah. you have to be on it a little bit to have the hamburger helper. Mom would make hamburger helper. I'll come home and do a little dance. A little <laughs> fat ass van. Like, oh shit. I mean, cause we never we didn't really eat that a lot. Cause you know, we got we got out of abject poverty uh, like during my childhood and you know we cooked my mom was a great cook so she cooked a lot of stuff you know we also ate a lot of wild game deer venison excuse me venison is deer venison rabbit stuff like that other things that you guys would never eat uh, raccoon stuff like that but um, squirrel but I-, I tell you that during those early days I'm talking about the 83 to 88 era if I came home and I sw- smelled the sweet smells of some hamburger helper, <laughs> shit, come on now. You knew it was going to be a good day. Was there uh-huh. was there a meal where you're just like, yeah, mom's pissed. She ain't happy. Like at me? Just in general. It's just a meal where you're like, fuck. All right, well. Nah. <laughs> it wasn't really like that. You know, she, my mother didn't use food to punish me. I'm not sure what kind of fucking... <laughs> Pink Floyd, the wall upbringing you had. <laughs> but, but, 
but um, but no. Look, I, I will say about this episode, we got introduced to some unhinged new characters, man. Oh, Kathleen, her <laughs> Kathleen. voice. She, why she got? Why does first of all, first of all, I, my name couldn't be Kathleen in the in a post apocalyptic world. You know what I'm saying? Like she still why? had the whole Karen vibes. She's just she's lost it, but she still talks like she's yelling at the manager at Applebee's, which kind of unsettled me a little bit. It's a great performance because she is, she's playing it as if there is uh, some sort of weakness to her, as if she's unsure or if, if, or as if you can't tell whether or not it's hurt or rage. Um, You can't tell whether or not it's, she's driven and motivated by a feeling of, this void of incompleteness or if she's off and you start to understand, you know, uh, played by Melanie Linsky, you start to understand that she's just super intense and ruthless. She comes back and she executes the doctor and the way the people are following her lead, um, that she really is a badass, but there's this, frailty about her even still she seems like a Karen she seems like a woman who would have that exact same energy if her shit didn't come the way she wanted it to at Starbucks the same energy she had with the doctor the doctor's like yo I I delivered you you know that same energy that she has there and that's kind of scary when it's unhinged can you imagine like a Karen that had the power of an army behind her you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what it's like. Van, I work. Do you know how many two for 20 nights I fucking worked at Applebee's, bro? That shit is my whole college experience. Okay. Two for 20? What's that? At Applebee's. What's you know, two for 20? Two for 20. Like, it would be like, so when I was in New Jersey trying to make money in college, I was a waiter. And essentially, you got the two for 20 meal where it's like, for $20, you could get an appetizer and you could get two entrees and everybody would come to Applebee's. But when I was there, I, not only was I a bad waiter, but because I'm light-skinned, all the white people thought it would be like great to play the game of like, who does who do you look like? So every time I would come to the table, they're like, you know who you look like? And then they would list a light-skinned person that I do not look like. It was very racist. Who would it be? J. Cole, Kid Cudi, Drake. The list goes on and on. They told you that? Yes, to my face. And you took that shit, huh? Hmm. The fuck I'm supposed to do in the in the middle of Central Jersey? Acting ass and the- <laughs> I don't know. Just, look, I don't know. That's that's how you that's how you want to live your life, dog. Let <laughs> people talk to you like that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
the luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. For people who are who are watching this, did this episode seem... There, there were a lot of questions here because I never played the game. Are we going to Kai to Game Corner here to oh, answer some questions? Oh, that is a great segue to Kai's Video Game Corner. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kai, that the revolutionaries are in the game. Mm-hmm. The Kathleen was created specifically for the show, the two boys, Henry and Sam, are actual characters from the game. Can you kind of break down, without spoiling, differences between video game, TV show? So, yeah, those revolutionaries are referred to as the hunters in the game. And honestly, there's not that much about them. You know, there's there's some lore and there's some throwaway lines of dialogue that kind of suggest that this group rose up from under the boot of Fedra. But outside of that, the details are pretty sparse. We know that they lure people in. We know that they kill them and steal their supplies, right, to keep living. But in the game, they're essentially a bunch of nameless, like, faceless NPCs that you just got to go through to keep progressing through the story. So they added a ton of context in the show with Kathleen, who's not a part of it, um, and Perry, who's like her right-hand lieutenant or, or whatever he is. And, and he was actually, fun fact, played by uh, Jeffrey Pierce, who was the voice actor for Tommy in the games. So that was a cool little cameo. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really different. It's kind of like they took the lore, the pre-existing lore, and then just like really built it out. I have some Game Corner questions. Go for it. In the game, Mm -hmm. is Ellie used to get through tight spots? Because they've been going into this. This episode, I'm starting to watch the show and try to figure out what's video game-esque. She crawls into a crawl space. She pulls something for Joel so Joel can get in there. And then another time, Joel puts her through this thing. She gets in the other side. She opens the door. Is that part of the gameplay in the game? It's exactly part of the gameplay in the game. There's so much of boosting Ellie up, of Ellie going into another room, moving something that was in front of a door to let Joel in. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely, like, when when Joel couldn't get into that room and Ellie had to move that stuff from in front of the door, I definitely definitely got a chuckle out of me. I was like, yeah, that's that's essentially what so much of the gameplay is. Also, this is a prediction, you know, because I haven't gotten here in the game yet. But don't tell me if I'm wrong or not. But when they go, Kathleen, they go into the the basement and there's that big thing. And they're like, all right, we're going to fucking deal with that later. Mm. Those are the bloated infected, right? I feel like we've seen other versions of the infected. We've yet to see those big motherfuckers that are like hard to take down. Part of me is just like, yo, this seems like... I can neither confirm nor deny, but that seems like a seems like a good bet to me. Also, Van, you might have seen this because maybe I wasn't watching close enough. And Kai, you can chime in as well. Are Joel and Ellie in the same building that Kathleen and the other guy were earlier? I have questions about this because I did have a little problem following how they were getting and where they were, like what was happening. Because at first it seemed like they were in one spot, they moved to another spot, mm. and I don't know where they were, like, like how they were moving around and, like, where they were going. Because they were in the gas station at first, mm-hmm. and it seemed like they barricaded themselves in the gas station for a long time. And I was just wondering, since all of that stuff was going down in the gas station, how come the people didn't just come there? How come they didn't know where they were? 
was my only thing. But I guess they had moved in the time that it took the people to understand where they were. But it seemed like with all the shooting and all the stuff, they would have known exactly where they were and they could have gone right to them. But I guess it's an abandoned Kansas City, so maybe it's a big area. I don't know. Can somebody help me? Yeah, I, I kind of read it, yeah, the same way. I just, I think they moved around and like at that point at the end, they were an entirely different building is kind of how I saw it. The way I thought of it was like when they, the first ambush, it almost seemed like they went to like the downtown area of mm. the city where everybody else was going to where all of the apartments were. So essentially they were hiding out where all the local shops were because they say at one point in the episode, like check all the apartments first, mm. essentially. And then I was thinking like the big building must be Kansas City business area. And that's where I assume, you know, the two boys that ambushed them at the end have been hiding away from them. This is probably where they don't go. And I'm assuming that's because there's like an infected horde around there somewhere. Let me ask you guys this. They open up a door and there's something inside the door that looks like a big, what the hell is Sushi doing? Yo, oh, uh, yo, Sush, get out of there, bro. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Sushi. Sushi's my cat for the listeners. That's amazing. He's being yeah. very bad. Sushi was getting into the cupboard. Um, you just sprayed it. You just sprayed him with Windex, bro. I see. I sprayed him with water. With oh, bro, water. like, bro, didn't it look like he put up some Windex and sprayed it with sushi, bro? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, when they open up the door. And the floor is heaving, and it's all cracked up. It looks like a sinkhole of some sort. What is that? What was that? That's what we were just talking about. We think that that, well, I think that that's infected. It's a different version than we've seen. It almost seems like something that's been bubbling up that either they need to run from or that it's basically going to fuck some shit up. I assumed it was like an infected horde. If you remember from the, I think this was the second episode, the Bostonian Museum. Uh-huh. Where it was like essentially all of the uh, the growth and the fungus had been there for a while. I'm assuming like it's like some type of fungus type of hive. Kai, in the game, mm-hmm. is there like an infected dance floor that just pulsates to the 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 the, the rhythms of Diplo? <laughs> like that 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 was is is that is that something you recognize? Is there does the infected take? Do they take over whole walls? Do they? Mm-hmm cover whole buildings do like what's what's the what's the limit of the fungal growth that you saw in the game it's a good question i think charles is onto something thinking that there's a different type of infected maybe a bigger type of infected something that you don't want to mess with that's that seems like what we're we're, what we're getting to what they're alluding to because there is that at this point in the game you've come across it but it looks like that's going to be a big reveal for next episode if i had to if i had to put money on it Interesting. Interesting. Are we getting to the point with the show? And this is the thing that all zombie shows have to deal with. It's how much zombie do they give you? Yes. The Walking Dead got to a point to where it just, you know, I just didn't even give a damn about the zombies. But it took years. Once they get to the prison, there's whole episodes where I'm like, there ain't no zombies in this motherfucker. Yeah. You know, it, it took it took like a, a while for it to it seems like The Last of Us. It's pretty light on zombie fare. We didn't see any fungal zombies really in this episode that I can remember seeing. Not that I can remember. We did see the big fungus thing. And last episode didn't really have very many of them either when we think about it. For people who are really fans of the genre, do you think they need a little bit more running? 
and screaming? Do you think they need more clickers? Do you think they need, they're going to need to see that? Hmm. I don't know how Kai feels. I generally, people would be like, boo, Charles. But like, zombies are rarely my favorite part of zombie movies or zombie fair. I actually do like, like, I grew up reading The Walking Dead. I like the fucked up people in the zombie world. I love what, I just love the little ghouls and gremlins that pop up. Like Kathleen, I'm like, that's what I want from a zombie movie. I'm like, how fucked up do you have to be to survive in this world? I know that the infected are going to come, but generally when the infected are on screen, I'm like, all right, cool, cool. But it's not as interesting to me as how Joel and Ellie are going to get out of this scrape. You feel me? Yeah. Uh, Kai, what do you think? In the game itself, Mm -hmm. how much are you fighting against zombies? How much are you fighting against bad people in the apocalypse? I'd say it's pretty balanced. Definitely more so. There's a lot more zombies. There's a lot more infected. There's a lot more things you have to deal with on that front. But it makes sense because you need it for the gameplay. And it it makes it more interesting, more dynamic. But in this, in my opinion, I really like that they're kind of moving toward, you know, less zombies. Just because, like, at the end of the day, this story is so much about people. And it's so much about Joel and Ellie's relationship that it's like, the zombies are fun in the game. But, like, how much... How much can that really add on screen, you know, when you're not the one controlling it and taking them down? And my last question for y'all, you know, before we get out of here, is that there's a very interesting thing, thing that happens uh, towards the end when, when, they're, um, when Joel and Ellie are walking up the stairs. First of all, Ellie asks, did you kill innocent people? And I'm like, it's just like Carlito's way. Don't fucking ask people, have you ever killed someone? If you have to ask somebody if you've ever killed someone, like, you know the fucking answer. Like, I hate when people do that. No, like, I'm like, if you're asking, you know. But I wanted to ask you guys, Joel basically, Joel basically kind of says like, yes. But my question is, are there any innocent people really in this world? Like the people who have had to survive in this world, at some point you've had to fuck someone over, take supplies from someone, basically do whatever you need to do to make it. And it's kind of this interesting thing where you can tell that Joel part of him feels bad, but part of him is just like, this is just, this is the new world order. We do what we have to to get to the next day. It's very interesting. So there's this movie that came out a long time ago. It's called The Trigger Effect. The film, it's like got Kyle McLaughlin in it. It's got Elizabeth Shue. I think Dermot Mulroney's in it. And 1996, The Trigger Effect. Yeah, That was before I was born. I don't give a fuck about that. Okay? Like, <laughs> like, 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 I, don't, I don't give a fuck. I saw it in, I saw it in theaters. <laughs> There's a blackout that comes to the town, to Los Angeles, really. And shit starts going haywire. It starts going fucking crazy. You know what I mean? People, all of their idiosyncrasies get like, you know, whatever, whatever. It's like, whatever. I remember there's a scene in the movie where when one of the guy goes, it's like, we have to drive to this specific place to get to where we're going. And... These were like regular professional people. And he goes, uh, we have almost enough gas to make it. Um, but at some point, we need seven gallons of gasoline. And he's like, we're going to have to get that seven gallons of gasoline in some kind of way. Remember, they do not have money. There's no money happening here. Um, but they have a shotgun. And he he pumps the shotgun and goes, at some point, we're, and this, is a, this was the good guy. At some point, we're going to have to get that seven gallons of gasoline to get to where we're going because everything's fucked up. That's how I look at it. <laughs> I look at it as like a bunch of people that in this particular situation, innocence and guilt are about intent. 
in this world because at some point, you're going to have to get that seven gallons of gasoline. You know, you're going to have to do whatever it is that you have to do to be able to see it to the next day. So if you're asking me, the answer is a long, drawn-out podcast way of answering the question. Probably not. If you've probably stuck around this long, you might have had to kill a Fedra agent. You might have had to steal something from someone. You might have had to, like, have your face painted and draw down on somebody while they're sleeping, even though you put out glass there that was supposed to alert you, but you're too goddamn old to, to hear the glass and wake up or whatever. By the way, last thing, the glass. Is that something you have to do in the video game? Mm-mm. That's not in Damn. it. Damn. That would be cool if you there had to There is a lot with sound, on. though. There's a lot with sound. Like, you got to be, you got to be, you got to sneak around. So I'm saying you got to get the, you got, you probably got to get the gasoline. Van, you're the type of person to steal some shit. Like, you would steal... Kai's last chicken sandwich off of them. I know you would see Kai and be like, That's not fair. By the way, just, (laughs) you know, to look at me, an overweight black man, and then say that (laughs) I'm still a chicken sandwich from somebody, you need to look closely at yourself. I said chicken sandwich because Ellie was eating chicken sandwiches. Chicken sandwiches are plentiful here. Don't do that to me, man. I think you need to search deep into your soul as far as what you got going on. And also, everybody, watch the trigger. Watch the trigger effect. I'm telling you, you'll dig it. Honestly, I think that then you've had a very busy week, and if anybody should look inward, it should be you blaming oh, Tony up. Romo. <laughs> that was actually pretty good. Look. <laughs> By the way, can I tell you guys something right now? Tony Romo is not a racist. Okay, <laughs> like we weren't saying that Tony Romo was a racist. <laughs> Jomi. Jomi posted that video and Joan went more viral than he ever thought that we, we were not saying that Tony Romo was, we were laughing, okay? I now know what Tony Romo was trying to say because someone put me in touch with people who know people. And I know he was trying to say near defenders is what he was going to say. <laughs> near defenders, but he thought it sounded stupid. Shout out to Tony Romo. Tony Romo is not a racist. <laughs> it was just a funny thing that happened. Shout out Tony Romo. Uh, not a racist. And that is a great way to end this episode of the Prestige TV podcast. Thank you to our video game expert extraordinaire, Kai, who does an amazing job uh, editing this podcast. Thank you to uh, my co-host, Van Lathan. Make sure you check us out on the Midnight Boys every Wednesday on the Ringer first podcast feed. And we'll see y'all next week.